The following podcast contains explicit materials. It's Wednesday, November 22nd, 2017 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, and we're going to have some fun today. But before that, I should mention that the tax cut bill sucks. That alone does not seem to galvanize enough people. I'm a little worried. The health care bills got 16% approval rating. Another one showed a 12% approval rating. There was the ACHA. There was Skinny Repeal, which I think the official name was the Healthcare Freedom Act. My God, freedom was in the name and people hated it. There was Graham Cassidy. And none of those bills ever pulled above 20%. Uh, they all came with different estimates of how many people would lose health care. Uh, that ranged the first big one, the big swing, ACHA, the A-C-H-A, would have left 26 million people without insurance. And that number really seemed to resonate. After the CBO came out with that score, the bills started going down, down, down in the polls. By the time Graham Cassidy hopped along, the CBO was just saying, yeah, millions will lose health insurance, but it was enough. The public had had it. So now on to this new tax cut, which actually will raise taxes on those making between twenty dollars and $40,000 a year. And ain't that a kick in the teeth, which, if indeed it is, let us hope that those people aren't among the 13 million who will lose health care coverage under this bill. Maybe that's just how we need to oppose this bill. I don't know, taxes, it's abstract. Is it abstract? People think they'll get a cut, even if they won't. People don't realize if you get a cut, it comes with a cost called the deficit. Maybe we just treat this bill as a healthcare bill. 13 million will lose insurance, but on the other hand, some tax cuts for corporations. By the way, come over here with me to this side of the room for a second. I actually think corporations need a little bit of a tax cut. Okay, but that's 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 fine. That's fine. It does poll very badly. I'll use the fact that maybe people are a little ignorant about what the corporate tax code to be. I'll accept that because the real overall bill, even with that, maybe could be a good thing if it were used in a different way, is a terrible, terrible mess. So I do want to put out that serious stuff. I just did. Because it is Thanksgiving, and I wanted to load up the show with all the belt unbuckling, cider imbibing, uncle arguing the day implies. But I did think we had to get the serious stuff out of the way because what we're talking about is a bill that stuffs denial of health insurance inside a sucky estate tax gift to the ultra-rich in the guise of a tax break. So if you add that up, what we have with this bill is a tax-sucking, right? Like the turducken, huh? The turducken is like the tax-sucking. I have long been a fan of the turducken. My turducken is when fried chicken gets eaten by a guy named Doug sitting inside a Toyota Tercel. So that would be the turducken. Then there's when the president refuses to answer questions and he gets indicted. That would be the Trump ducking. Or when the foreign policy establishment gives thanks to the only force for democracy within the area of Syria, Iran, Iraq, and Turkey. And the way they give thanks is to ignore them. That's known as the Kurd ducking. Then there are certain delicious dishes served in specific families. For instance, rapper Joaquin James Malfers will coat a chicken in the super heavy artificial chemical element Fluorovium, atomic number 114, stuff that inside a horse written by a young Roddy McDowell, and that is known as, of course, the uh, waka flaka flicka flirkin. Then, of course, there is the dish. When you get a small pickle, you stuff that inside a turkey, you stuff that inside a chicken, you stuff that inside the Chancellor of Germany as she's wearing double-strapped sandals. That'd be the merkin burkin gherkin turkin. On the show today, hey, wait. I got to mention this. Come to my live show on Tuesday in Washington, D.C. There are a few tickets left. 
It's at the Hamilton Theater, 7.30 Tuesday night. Be there. I will. Many guests, too. Go to Slate.com Live to see who. On the show today, I explain uncles and sexism and sexism aimed at uncles. This is called avuncular eroticism. I just made it up. But maybe talking about sex scandals and the Me Too movement with your uncle is the perfect formula to get into a good fight at Thanksgiving. I'll help you navigate that. But first, he is among my favorite comedians. He's also the creator and producer of the new IFC program, Stan Against Evil. He's Dana Gould. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphin. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Joining me now is a guest who once joined us by telephone before I realized, look, if you have a person on telephone who's really funny, you want them in person. And if you have a person on telephone who's kind of funny, they get less funny. So after I interviewed Dana Gould, I said to myself, "Ah, I got to get him in person. And here he is. Dana Gould is the man behind the the Dana Gould comedy hour, which is 75% true. And that is Dana Gould in comedy, (laughs) but definitely not an hour. No. And also he's the creator and the executive producer of Stand Against Evil on IFC. He also plays, well, a, a, a Hamlet-type character, <laughs> uh, the ditch digger, Kevin. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Based on a real person. Kevin is my brother's name, and um, the, the character of Kevin is based— I lived—I grew up on Cemetery Street. That uh-huh. was my address as a child, 9 Cemetery Street in Hopedale, Massachusetts. And there was a—the the caretaker of the cemetery was this guy named Harry Miller. Harry was an old guy. I don't think uh, the elevator went all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. Also, he was insane. Did yeah. <laughs> go all the way to the penthouse, and uh, and he mowed lawns at the cemetery and pruned the bushes, and then we would see him walking around town, and that was the extent of uh, Harry's life. And I loved, I was fascinated by these these people in these small towns that are just ubiquitous. It's like, oh, that's like the log lady on Twin Peaks. Like, oh, that's a log lady. Yeah, we have that. <laughs> yeah, and Harry Miller was like that. He mowed lawns and he'd walk around. Is uh, the name of the town is Willard's Mill? Is yeah, that Willard's a Mill. Nod to Miller at all? No, I just up? it's no, I just thought it sounded vaguely evil. The mm-hmm. Willard is, had from the Rat movie, yeah, and uh, it just didn't. It had assonance with Willard and Mill, and, and uh, also very New Englandy. Very New England. Yeah, New England yeah. has town names that where they'll, they'll you'll get a regular name and then they'll tag it with a, a grove or a mill yeah, or, or a, Dale or yeah, Burrow or yeah, yeah, yeah Burrow spelled three different ways. Yeah, Burrow spelled three no different ways. There's no standardization. And then you get down like on the Cape, or just, <laughs> like as they, like on Family Guy, we're from Papanaquag. <laughs> and all the Lake, Lake Winnipesaukee and all these names that I, you take for granted when you grow up there. Right. And even when they have a kind of normal spelling name like Peabody, which is how the award spell it, right. it would, of course, be Peabody. 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 Yeah, or- the rush to get through every vowel quickly. <laughs> the impatience for yeah. vowels. <laughs> the New England impatience yeah. for vowels. Yeah. Yeah. So Kevin is your brother. What kind yeah. of... You've talked about your brother. He's like yeah. a blue-collar guy. All my brother, I have four yeah. older brothers, and they're all super... Prison guards and police officers and stuff like that. And I was telling this story to somebody the other day. 
I'm the fifth boy of, of I have a younger sister and four older brothers, and all my older brothers are men. You know, they're bigger than I am. They have real jobs. Uh, you know, their testicles have little testicles. Um, and for whatever reason, I never really got into sports. I never really got into hunting, or I didn't get into hunting at all. Uh, or it just didn't interest me. Uh, and my dad, this is like the late seventies, early eighties. My dad could not reconcile that I. Didn't like sports, didn't want to go hunting, but was a heterosexual. Mm. Like, he could not. He could not square that circle. Do you, think, <laughs> do you think if it were gay, it would have been easier on you, just in terms of solving his cognitive dissonance? Yes, I think it would have been. I think, yeah, it's, <laughs> all right, it's, it's, it makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, my my nephew's uh, gay and and out and and uh, the greatest guy, yeah. and uh, he's like, oh, Mark is fine, you know. And it's, and it's also not as if, and it's that whole thing. Of, well, Mark's okay. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's good to have one of the good ones in the family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also, it's not as if he did accept you as a heterosexual. So if he's not going to totally accept you, yeah, anyway, exactly. Yeah. It's always it's yeah. I might as well just go. Now, of all your obsessions, different kinds of sci-fi, different kinds of monster movies. <laughs> this is this is mostly demon based. Yeah, I, uh, stand, stand against, against evil. Yeah, stand against evil. I thought demons was a great way. To basically do anything I wanted, with the exception of vampires and zombies, which I think are done in other venues much better. Sheriff Miller, it's your wife, sir. She's dead. I'm Evelyn Barrett. I'm the new sheriff of Bullard's Mill. Starting today, you're as good as dead. This whole town's haunted because of the witch burnings. Of course, they weren't really witches. Willard's Mill had a constable named Thaddeus Eccles. You know how many witches Thaddeus Eccles burned? 172. One person burned 172 people? One sheriff. And ever since, every sheriff we've ever had has died an early, violent, horrible death. Except Stan. Wipe to the head. Never fails. I had done a pilot uh, for ABC based on the theory of what if my dad, who's looms large in my psychic landscape, came to live with my wife and myself and my kids. Like, what if you, you know, there's this progressive family and then Archie Bunker comes in right. and lives in the middle of it. Right. And you have, uh, and you have three, your three children are adopted, yeah. Asian. Yeah. Introduce Archie Bunker to them. Right, to them. Hilarity yeah. ensues. Right. It was a great, and, and it was, and uh, it went, uh, Brian Dennehy played my dad. He was brilliant. And it didn't go to series, but it got made as a pilot. And I thought, well, okay, I know it works. You know, I watched it. I saw it. That character works. Yeah. So I still wanted to do something with the character. And then I thought, well, what if I just put him in a show that he didn't belong in? You know, what if I just airlifted him? What, you know, what is something I like? Well, I love the X-Files. I love that show. Okay. What if instead of being partnered with... David Duchovny, Jillian Anderson was partnered with my dad yeah. and had to deal with him. And then I had to retrofit the surroundings to make that work. So I, I created the story about sheriffs in a small town. And it's really about this relationship of this guy, very entrenched, bigoted, you know, just a guy from another era fighting modernity and, and, and seeing underneath that, like a lot of these people, you know, you're three or four exchanges away from being normal people. Yeah, you know, so like yeah. you get beyond all that, and it's like, yeah, okay, we we both like we both like hamburgers, and then, and <laughs> you, then you find out that underneath we're all human. Well, except for the demons, except for the demons, definitely. <laughs> yeah, come on, uh, come on. Yeah. Should have stayed home and watched my snake show. I, I would say 
most great comedies are either slobs versus snobs or, <laughs> or fish out of water. Every great movie. Yeah. This including is fish- Sophie's Choice <laughs> is slobs versus snobs. <laughs> All right, so I have, uh, I know you're not that, well, actually, you're pretty topical, a comedian. Yeah. I don't get, like, super, I'll certainly talk about things, but I don't go deep dive into policy and things like that. George Carlin called that layups. Mm -hmm. He goes, yeah, you know, you do a couple layups, but then you get to play the real game. (laughs) You can't just have, you can't have people come and watch you do layups. You can't, people aren't going to pay to watch you shoot layups. Yeah, pull out the paper, do the Mort Saul thing. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you got to really kick it. Yeah. So there are a couple things in the news, though, that you have existing routines about. One is, this is local, but in Connecticut, there's a museum and they're kind of celebrating or trying to get people to know that they had witch trials before Salem. Yes, yeah, that was that's a weird thing. Isn't that a weird... Yeah. Salem High there's School's nothing to nickname brag about. is the witches. Yeah, nothing to brag about. Right? Nothing to brag about. It. Yeah, you know, I didn't even know that. Salem, it's the Salem witches? Salem witches, yeah. yeah. that's one of those things like the redskins that it's... You no, know, these are just innocent people that were hung. <laughs> yeah, this is the biggest shame. I'm not even going to go with let's, you know, talk about lynching, but let's just yeah. talk about horrible mistrials of justice yeah, and yeah, like... Yeah. Selling it as a fun tourist attraction. Sacco and Vanzetti, we're the fishmongers. (laughs) Let's go anarchists. (laughs) Yeah, it's really true. Yeah, it was one of those. And and it is funny how there is this hundredth, uh, I think it's called the hundredth monkey syndrome, where like suddenly everybody has the same idea at the same time. Right. They have a hundred monkeys, and then suddenly one will figure out that you can crack open a coconut with a rock, and then every monkey all over the world has the same idea at the same time. And there's a better name for it, but it's also called the hundredth monkey syndrome. And everybody at the same time, there's a tipping point. Yeah. And everyone goes, oh, this is wrong. Like the Redskins. Yeah. (laughs) Decades and decades. And and the weirdest one to me, as you talk about television shows, Hogan's Heroes. Right. A, a, A wacky comedy about Nazis running a prison camp in World War II. Yeah. Now, you couldn't do that today. But you could do it in 1967. Yeah. But the people that were doing it in 1967 actually remembered the real Nazis. Yeah. We're farther removed, but we're more upset by it. I find that just, I can't wrap my head around that. It's so bizarre. Dana Gould is the creator and uh, a writer of several episodes and the executive producer of Hogan's (laughs) Heroes. He then went on to host the family feud. (laughs) You might know him by his stage name. Drunky McDawson. (laughs) Dana Gould is the creator and executive producer of Stan Against Evil on IFC. Thanks for coming in, Dana. Oh, thank you very much. And now the spiel. Ah, Thanksgiving, a little touch football in the backyard, spicy cider in the mug, and a familial meltdown at the dinner table. Why? The uncle. It's always the uncle. How to talk to your uncle at Thanksgiving. What to say to your uncle about the Trump administration. Everyone, everywhere is always giving you advice on how to deal with your uncle. Well, in years past on this show, I broke down the question, why is it the uncle? Why not the dad? who possesses so many Thanksgiving problems. Why is the uncle a one-manned isle of unwokeness in a supposedly harmonious sea of togetherness? I've done this before, but you know what? You ate turkey before. You're not complaining. Here goes. Let's compare just your uncle to your dad. Same upbringing, same ethnicity, same class, same parentage. Likely, you know, family could add a setback between kids, but likely they come from a very similar background. So why is it the uncle who's the stand-in for reactionary politics and not your dad? 
Well, one is your dad has kids, and one of those kids is you. And if you're the one making the complaint, or at least clicking on the complaint and identifying with the complaint that we've got a illiberal uncle problem, then you are probably a liberal. And it has been demonstrated in lots and lots of political science data that, a quote from one of the studies, the best single predictor of an individual's party preference is the preference of his parents. Now, I say his because that's a quote, and the quote was from a 1972 study, David Knoke, or maybe Noke, a causal model for the political party preferences of American men. But that was a landmark study, and it has been proved time and time again, to different degrees. But as your family's politics go, so goes, to a large extent, but not always, so go your politics. So one reason that your uncle is the conservative outlier and not your dad is that you're much more likely to share the politics of your dad. The family also influences things other than politics. Politics are shaped by other factors other than family, of course. Big ones are race and residency. Urban dwellers tend to vote in similar ways. The Northeast is largely liberal, the South largely conservative. And while not everyone has the same religion as their parents, and while kids move away or parents move away, it is true that you are more likely to share a general residency, either urban or the section of the country, with your parents than with your uncle. And it's also true that you're more likely to share a religion or irreligion with your parents than with your uncle. And then there's the factor that's less quantifiable but strikes me as true. Your father, which is to say your uncle's brother, your uncle's brother-in-law, your uncle could be your mom's brother, or he could just have married into the family, in which case, (laughs) game on. But this guy, this guy sitting at the table, your uncle, has been denied a liberalizing influence in his life, and that is you. This may not even show up in the actual politics they have. It may be more likely to show up in how they express their politics. I think that parents are much more likely to know, A, know what their kids' politics is or are, and B, to at least respect the politics much more likely than the uncle. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, oh, have you met my dad, my parents, are not really that careful to respect my politics. Well, maybe that's true, but I do think they're more likely to respect them, either to share them or just to want to keep the peace, than your uncle would be. And by the way, if you are gay, or if you have married a person of a different race, or if you, I don't know, perform legal aid services for undocumented members of MS-13, your parents are much more likely to know that to have their views affected by it, to have maybe liberalized because of it than your uncle is. In short, we need to recognize that the complaints about uncles being conservative blowhards stem from liberal, I was going to say blowhards, let's call them truth seekers, stem from liberal truth seekers. And this explains the phenomenon. Because all that the uncle is in this conversation is the older male at the dinner table who diverges most from you, a liberal. And because he's a he, an older man, he's more likely to be conservative than anyone else. And because he's the most different from you, a liberal, he's more likely to be different from you. Plus, he's been drinking, and the Giants' pass defense stinks this year, so what is there to be happy about? Stand up for the anthem, you punks. Okay, now, that analysis, I'm glad I gave it to you. It's not gift enough. Because this is Thanksgiving, and I want to show my thanks for you. I want to show my thanks for your listenership. So what I'm going to do is I'll give you a few tips to handling your grumpy uncle or anyone else at Thanksgiving that you don't want to fight politics about. 
All right, three tactics. One is political bingo. Before the day, on the, on the car ride there, draw up with either your spouse or some like-minded cousins or siblings, draw up nine squares on a piece of paper, things your uncle might say. Uh, he might call Asians Orientals. That could be one. He's still grousing about Hillary Clinton. That could be two. Ask, where does it end about any social issue? There's another square. Makes a fake news joke, quote unquote, joke, quote unquote, fake news. Silently but knowingly, you will glance at each other every time your uncle makes a crack and you check off a square. It turns what could be a painful exercise in gritted teeth into a joyous contest. Tip number two, try to out-conservative your uncle. Flank him to the right. As a challenge to yourself, see how it goes. Announce early on, you know, I've had a bit of a change of heart and agree with his premise. He might not even believe it, but it'll just be fun to do. You use the improv technique of yes and and not only that, but. So if he says the state should keep all their statues of Columbus, you say, hell, I think they should erect a statue of General Lee right here in Massapequa. If he says those goddamn football players need to stand for the anthem, you say not only should they stand, they need to be quizzed on the lyrics, and if they make a mistake, that's a 10-yard penalty. If he says 15 yards, you say 15 yards and loss of down, and a fine from the league office. Soon he'll be proposing that Marshawn Lynch serves a prison term, and then you guys can toast each other and say, now those are some American values. And here's my last tip for dealing with the uncle. You research some statements by noted political figures. I'll throw out a few. Trump, Paul Ryan, Obama, Nancy Pelosi. And you memorize some quotes, right? Like Nancy Pelosi saying, are we actually getting people out of poverty? The best way to do that is to listen to people on the ground, the people who are fighting poverty person to person, and give them more flexibility in exchange for more accountability to actually get people out of poverty. And then he'll say, God damn that Nancy Pelosi. And then you can say, or just know, actually direct quote from Paul Ryan. Or you could say, how about the time Pelosi said, I want Mexico to be a strong and happy country. And we could get close enough to have a decent deal for the United States, but at the same time have a good deal for Mexico. Oh my God, it'll drive him mad. Trump actually said that in a call to the Mexican president. And finally, here's a quote that'll really appeal to him because it's about uncles. It's like O'Reilly says, for a lot of young boys and young men, they don't see an example of fathers or grandfathers, uncles who are in a position to support families and be held up in respect. And so that means that this is not just a gun issue. It's also an issue of the kinds of communities we're building. When a child opens fire on another child, there's a hole in that child's heart that the government can't fill. Only community and parents and teachers and clergy can fill that hole. And he'll say, damn right. And you'll say, or just no, actually, Obama said that. And there you have my complete guide to the Thanksgiving uncle. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Pierre Bienname, who enjoys a delicious turducken, or as the French side of his family pronounces it, don't canle. Mary Wilson will not eat turducken, but her family will fry up a lizard between two candy discs and then do it again and again and again. It's the Neko Gecko Echo. <laughs> Wash it down with some Prosecco. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, warns that if you do eat turducken, watch out for salmonella food poisoning. Three birds means three chances for you to buy the farm, for you to wind up six feet under, or in this specific, to succumb to the turducken dirt tuck-in. The gist, you know, we don't believe in eating too much on Thanksgiving. We believe in giving back. So what I like to do is I like to go out and find any goateed former national security staffer who's now unemployed 
and gift him a warm jacket, especially as seized from a drug lord. It's the Gorka Narka Parka Initiative, and it just feels good. Umpru depru dupru, and thanks for listening.